Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans. This is Paul Carruthers. I'm the Carruthers part of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. I'm joined by Sean Bice. As always, he's out in Ohio. I'm in California. And Sean, how's everything out there today? Yeah, it's really good. I don't know. We're, we're getting an early. We, we seem to, I know we always seem to go towards weather on this stuff, but it's gotten unseasonably cold a little, a little too early. I don't understand it, but I think we're going to warm up a little bit. It's going well. It's going well. Actually, Paul, you know, it was terrible on the last podcast. I kind of put you on the spot and say, hey, are we going to get the schedule this week? And Paul, I'm sorry to do that to you. I, I guess we're still kind of looking at a couple of things with it, but I didn't mean to do that. I thought for sure it was going to be coming out this week. And I guess I guess it's another maybe week or so. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's not your fault. I mean, I kind of I, I kind of thought the same thing that we were on. We were on track to have it last week and that wasn't the case, but yeah, we're real close. It's just one of those things when you you know you need to get contracts signed and things like that, and some of them go more quickly than others. And um, I know Chuck Axelin's working as hard as he can to get the. As far as as far as I'm concerned, the schedule is complete. But like I said, it just there's some things that need to be signed, and uh, and then we'll be good to go. But I anticipate uh, early next week with it. I know everyone's excited to see what the schedule's like, and it's always nice to be able to start making making some plans, whether you're you know, a team or, or, or fans. So, um, yeah, we'll get that thing out as soon as, believe me, we want it out as quickly as anybody else. So we're trying. Yeah. 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 And I'm not going to give anything away, Paul, but I will tease it by saying it's going to be different next year and it's going to be kind of exciting and surprising in many different ways. So fans get ready to see that, that schedule. Cause, um, it's not, what, it's probably not what you're going to expect and probably not what you thought would, what it was going to be like, and I'll just leave it at that. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be cool. There's a little thing, there's some twi twists and turns that are a little bit different. That'll just change things up some. So, uh, but overall, you know, it's pretty, it, it's pretty standard, but, uh, like we said with a few tweaks, but let's get started with today. Our guest today is Teague Dane. Now, to me, that always sounds like he should be a cruise ship captain on a Norwegian boat, but he's actually not. He's our he's Moto America's technical director. I think this will be his third year already. He can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but I think he's going to be going into his third third season of Moto America. And obviously, during the off season, one of his major well, it's a, it's probably an ongoing process throughout the season, but at least during the off season is when he's got to get things buttoned up, and that's you know, with rules, technical rules for the following season. We had a press release um, issued recently where we outlined some of the basic stuff that had changed. And uh, let, let's talk to Teague. Teague, first of all, good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Just lovely. Tell us a little bit about your off-season. As I just mentioned, I know, I know when, it, when, when in the process do you actually start talking with, with Chuck and the FIM and Scott Smart and whomever about the following year? Is that something that happens in the middle of the year or is it not something that happens until the season, season concludes? Well, really, it's, it's just like a person. It's more of a, you know, a self, 
a personal goal that I try to get the rule book out as soon as possible. Even this was a little bit later. So we'll start talking, you know, probably April-ish. You know, we, t- we start talking pretty early on season and then there's a lot of discussions, obviously I'm meeting with manufacturers and, um, and a lot of different people. So yeah, it starts a lot earlier than people think. Yeah. And Teague, one of the things I want to start with is to talk about really last year and it was a, a pretty, um, I felt radical change, but turned out to maybe not be so much with this super sport next generation. And there was a lot of hand wringing and hemming and hawing among the, you know, the people thinking that Panigale V2 was going to be the overlord. And then the 750 Suzuki was going to do something. And uh, we heard a lot of talk early on from some of the teams and even riders with regard to the R6 and whether it, you know, has become obsolete or whatever. And, uh, you know, this entire time, um, Josh Hayes kept saying it's, it's, it's a good package. It's a good bike. I can win on it. And he certainly did. And he, he quieted some people down. And I think Rocco towards the end of the year, um, started to get his, his riding figured out a little bit better. Um, he had to come to an understanding with how the tire was on, on his bike, I guess the front tire, and he learned to trust it a little more. So there were a lot of factors went into the fact that when it all came good at the end, it was pretty darn balanced and, and Hayes always felt that it was. Um, but every party, I guess, on every side is going to sort of complain or say, you know, they have an advantage or whatever, but it was a pretty delightful ending to the season. I mean, I know that Josh did, you know, win early, but it's still the race races were compelling for sure. I mean, you know, uh, obviously uh, Hayes won, you know, Rock, Rocco won, Um Tyler Scott was up there. Sam Lockoff was up there. Um, it was pretty amazing how balanced it was. And right from the start, too, even the Daytona 200, let's go back to that. That finish was incredible. I mean, you had 765 triumphs in there. You had, obviously, well, Heron until he had the gas problem. But then you had a 599 R6 involved. And, you know, that was probably the best example right off the bat of how balanced Supersport next generation was you had to feel pretty happy or satisfied that you did some good work on that would you say that's true yeah I mean Daytona obviously went into Daytona pretty stressed out um is the first it was the first time anywhere in the world that really these next gen have been next generation bikes have been raced so um we brought the guys from Mectronic we brought Scott over and he was impressive but it was a great race i mean that the, we were i'm very happy with the way next generation turned out this current year and daytona especially, that race was incredible and another thing most people don't aren't aware that in supersport this year each manufacturer won a race kawasaki yamaha triumph day uh, uh suzuki and ducati all won one race this year that's great, Tig and Kawasaki. I'm glad you reminded me. Yeah, absolutely. Jason Farrell for one on that that six thirty six. So absolutely, that that's a real testament to good balance. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so you got to be satisfied with that. So what the process? Paul touched on it when at the opening. So tell us about what the process is. Is it with, with these rules in the off season or even during the season, because I know you're working on it all the time, you know, there's input I from, I think it's FIM, AMA, 
I don't really, I guess when I, when the rule book comes out, it comes out, I think from the AMA, but I don't really understand that because we obviously have input in it from Moto America. FIM has some, is it, is it a combination of three entities that kind of work together on making this happen? You know, the rule books, um, it's got a few layers. Yeah. Probably more than I'd like, but the FIM gives us guidance. You know, they don't, there's no man, they don't have a, a mandate. It's still our series so that we use their guidance, especially for Superbike, Supersport Next Generation, um, Junior Cup and Stock Thousand. Um, the other two classes are our Moto America classes. So we don't actually, you know, we write those rules ourselves, meaning there's a process that it goes through. So you have the permanent bureau that make, is, the, is the final decision. The rule book itself is definitely owned by the AMA and me and, and Bill, we work together and we, we write it together. Um, but the process of creating rules is there's a, there's a group of people that are involved with that. It's, it's a, we have a lot of meetings about it. So probably more than, you know, that a lot of people like, cause I'm always asking for meetings. So I want to change if, if, you know, I'm looking to make some adjustments or something, or if somebody else may be looking to make adjustments, whoever that person is. From the outside looking in, I would, I would believe that like Sean and I couldn't do this job. Sean, <laughs> could do it. Sean and Sean could do it technically. I, yeah. I, I barely know a Phillips screwdriver from a flathead. So I couldn't do the technical part, but I think both of us would suffer from the fact of not having thick enough skin. Is that, is that oh, the yeah. case with that job? I mean, I watch you, I, I, you know, I see how people interact with you. I think you have a, a lot of respect in the paddock, which is obviously important with that job. But I'm sure there's times when you still just get a lot of shit that you have to take. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that just comes with territory, you know. Um, and depending on somebody's mood, I mean, people, when you know, it's a very emotional sport. So a lot of times you come to me with a very emotional argument, you know. And a lot of times, you know, if I'm coming into somebody's pit or if I'm bringing their bikes in, it's not always the best reason. So you know, people probably get a little bit more, could potentially can get a little bit more jumpy, so to say. But no, I mean, look, all in all, what we're trying to do is create create a path that everyone can be successful in, right? So in each class, you know, and my goal is just to make sure that there's, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You know. Parity. Parity, correct, between the, all the riders to try to make sure that everybody has the same opportunities. That's my outright goal. So yeah, but you're right. you got to have some thick skin when you're doing it, you know, and, and hell I get emotional sometimes too about it. So it, it's part of the day. It's part of the game. Yeah. And T, did you know that going into that, the job, because Paul, Paul's absolutely right. Especially for me, man. I, you know, I always remember this, the running joke in the scene from a lot of the back to the future uh, episode, or movies when Michael J. Fox, if you called him chicken, he would like go, did you call me chicken? And he, <laughs> he'd go immediately mental. And that's kind of the way I get sometimes about things. So I, I couldn't handle it. I, I suppose if it was something that was absolutely part and parcel of my job, I might be able to, but I think being calm is part and parcel of my job and I'm still not that. So did they tell you going in with this or did they know, did you, did you have this demeanor or is it something you had to kind of work yourself into doing? And did they tell you ahead of time, you know, you got to have a thick skin. I mean, I've been in racing for 
a, quite a long time. So I, I had a pretty good idea, you know, cause I was on the other side of the other side of the fence for such a long time. So yeah, I had a pretty good idea about the, that part of it. I think what I was a little bit unprepared for is how much politics get, you know, play, you know, can, can, can come to play with it, but you know, we work through it, you know, and I have a good staff. I got a good support team that helps me, you know, with the partners and Chuck and Nicole. And so when we get into big, you know, I don't want to say spats, but whatever the situation is, you know, I have a good support team around me too. So uh, it's working out pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. That's good. So, so I'm not going to require you to have, to have that thick skin with some of the questions I got, but I did kind of go through some of the rules and I, I did, I thought it would be interesting to ask you some things about some of the rules, kind of more why they are that way. And I guess the first one I want to ask you is let's start off with Superbike and, and asking about this transmission, the fact that you can choose a ratio um, in the beginning of the season. I don't know if, I don't know if ratio is the right thing I'm saying, but a transmission no, no. in the beginning of the season, it has to be an available one, but you have to stick with it all year. Can you explain that? Like, like, well, do you think anybody will change what they're, what they've been doing? Cause they don't really have data, right? Uh, no, they all have data. All of them. Um, th do they have data of what the new ratio is? I get, you know, that would be their jobs to figure out what ratio they want to run. I mean, so the way this, the reason for this change, right. Is, you know, we're trying to really, you know, working with FIM. And I think a lot of people don't know that the teams in World Superbike don't actually build their own engines. So where a lot of teams in, our, in the U.S. do. So most of the teams, whether it be the A, B, or C teams, they, they do a contract, whether let's say it's Kawasaki, because Kawasaki provides the engines. Well, what we're really trying to do is help the teams provide that same path, right? So they can take the development cycle and just, they could call up and purchase an engine. Well, a lot of those manufacturers didn't have engines for, our, for Moto America Superbike because their engines already have these transmissions in them. So what we're really trying to do is make it easier for teams to be able to have more support from the manufacturers. So that's, that's the main goal. Okay. And this is kind of technical to that idea. Um, okay. So you have you, a, a different transmission with a different ratio. Can you achieve that with gearing? In other words, changes in teeth on counter shaft sprocket or rear sprocket. Um, can you, can you make up for maybe you making the wrong decision on a transmission at the beginning of the year, or can you make a transmission do what you want wanted the other one to do with 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 sprockets uh no because the sprockets will change the overall ratio but it won't like if you won't change the spreads between the gears does that make sense so like if gotcha if, yes if they want to use first gear let's say some want to use first gear and with the new transmission they have a lockout so neutral goes all the way to the bottom there's no you know you don't go from second through neutral the first anymore. Now you can go all the way straight to first, which will really help the bikes, you know, as far as the safety of it, you know, you, you won't get false neutrals because you can't, you can't get into neutral. And so 
a lot of times you'll change a gear ratio so you could use first gear in a lot of places, you know. Um, there's a everyone's going to set it up a little different. It's going to be really cool to watch how they, you know, what strategy they 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 go for, you know, whether they do a short ratio, however they're going to set that up. It's going to be interesting to see. Okay, so that that makes sense. That gearing situation is sometimes if you're on a straightaway and you just have, haven't got enough top end or anything. Well, that doesn't help anything about the fact that you're you might have a taller second gear than um, than normal or with a different transmission. So, is is that accurate to what I'm saying there? Yeah, sim- yeah, I mean similar. Yes, it's close. Okay, each bike has its own. It's, it's you know, so each manufacturer, whatever their OEM transmission is, so they're they're going to the teams can make the adjustment for what they feel will help them per our tracks. So. Based on the way that our tracks are. Okay. And you know, I asked. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, no, that's okay, Paul. You go ahead. Based on the way our tracks are. I'm yeah, based on the way, way that our tracks, uh, based on the way that our tracks are, which are mostly tight and not a lot of top speed, it seems like you'd, you'd have, you'd pick a ratio that was better for those tracks and in turn you might suffer like a road America. Is that, or am I off base with that? Uh, That's a tough call, right? So I'm kind of curious to see how, what people decide. I I don't want to, I don't want to speculate on that. Well, I'm kind of curious to watch, you know, some of them may use what's already used in world Superbike. So, um, and some people may, I I, I imagine a lot of them is going to stay with stock. Um, and so I, I, I don't want to speculate completely on that, but I, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. Right. You know, and Teague, some of the rules I've seen for sure that neutral lockout is fantastic. I mean, obviously the safety purposes of that are, are amazing. I love it. Um, and Max Flinders said he likes it a lot. He's going to look at what they're going to have for the R1 and see how he can put it on his bike. And we've had some conversations about false neutrals and stuff. So I totally get, I mean, and love the fact that that's going to help these riders. So they don't just send it, you know, screaming off into a turn because they're in neutral. So that's, that's a great rule. I'm sure there are other reasons for having it besides the safety, but the safety aspect of it is obviously a key thing. Um, I want to switch and ask you uh, a couple of, so there were only two classes this year that had a change in the minimum weight. And one of them is baggers. And baggers, I think, went from 630 pounds down to 620. And my first question is just basic, why, why, did, why is the minimum weight lower? Because, well, let me couch this. Because last year, and I might be wrong about this, but in talking to some of the teams, some of the teams couldn't get down to that minimum weight of 630 anyway. So I'm wondering, okay, what was the reason for making it even lower? And is there any chance that any of the teams can get down that low? So that's one the minimum weight on the baggers actually has not changed last year. It was 620 pounds. Um, oh, okay. Teague. I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, um, it, it, it got put in red the year prior was six thirty. Sorry guys about the dogs. That's okay. Um, that's okay. The, uh, so this year it did get changed. It was in red because I just, I originally had, change it to even lower to us we had discussed going a few pounds lower and then we put it back to last year's 
and I just forgot to take it out of red. So that one in particular, that the weight did not change in King of the Baggers. Oh, okay. Okay. A lot of everything. Well, that, lot that of- wasn't a case where you needed to have thick skin. <laughs> I didn't mean to point that one out to you. Oh, no, it's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're right. It was 630 now that, I, now I think about it. I kind of forgot when I saw the number there thinking it was different. So, okay. The other one in the rules there, and tell me about this one, the change in the RPM limits for each of the, for the Indian and the Harley and the RPM limits are different for each bike. I understand the engine characteristics are different, but why, why did the RPM limit change? Did it go up? Did it go down? Why, why was it changed? There was no up or down because there was never an RPM limit. So we're, we're putting in an RPM limit this year to s- slow down the, for one, I want to say slow down the bikes, but slow down the development of the motors, you know, trying to take a, a motorcycle that went from 5,500 RPM to 7,000 RPM um, is difficult, right? So I don't want to say where they were, um, but we, we're putting in a limit to to slow down that development and, you know, to help with reliability, you know, because what's one of the biggest things we want these things to finish. We want them to race and and put on a great show, but we also need to get them to be a little bit more reliable. And that was one of the things that we all discussed would help that situation. So, well, I'll tell you, you hit the nail on the head, and that's what I thought because when I looked at it, I thought, well, rev limits would suggest possibly not letting them rev so high that they grenade the engine. And I mean, we saw some situations this last year with obviously oil on the track and some issues there. And that happens when you push an engine to the limit. I mean, you see that in other classes sometimes as well. So I thought it might've had something to do with that. Is there anything else in the rules this year that you guys have put in to try to help control that? If not catastrophic engine failure, but this issue with oil leaks, because obviously it's something that affects our series, the scheduling, the other classes and um, it's something we don't want to see. Um, I thought there might have been some change in either des- the design shape or volume of the catch pan underneath the engine. I don't know. Can you speak to that and other things that might have might have been done to help with that? What we encountered this past season? Yeah. So what we're doing with the catch the catch pan is we we're moving to where the manufacturer. So Harley's going to provide a catch can Indian will provide a catch can to all the teams manufacturers so they're required to provide it um because you know know, they make a i don't want to discourage anybody else they just they make a really nice product or a nice part and they spend a lot of time with the design and so we we want to make sure that everyone's using that same design to to help minimize these problems you know the other thing is you know placement of the catch cans are going to be a little bit different you know, where they're inside the bags in case, in case there is a, so that's a secondary form of containment. Um, the cat, the, the bags must be sealed. So we're doing a few things to try to help alleviate it. There's no, there's no fix, right. Um, to, for when an engine comes apart, when an engine comes apart, it comes apart. Um, so the, the, what you're trying to do is minimize it. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought that that was, and that's cool. I mean, if it's if it's kind of, I don't know how to put it, but if it's standardized and, and everybody uses the same one, when, then you would think the design would be made to do the job pr- correctly and that everybody uses it is getting the, the chosen effect from it. So that that's, again, great. And that's another safety 
thing with these rules. So I love that. Um, one of the other things I wondered about, and this is, this is interesting. So, well, let me talk about the whole idea of, it's not a two bike rule, but the fact that you can have, you have a bike and then you can have a, you can have another bike. Although one of the things to you, you know, I'm a, and, and Paul knows this better than anybody. I'm an insane proofreader. So I kept getting hung up on this thing about on Superbike. It said, it talks about uh, two, uh, rule 2.4.10 says mainframe and, main and spare motorcycle. On all the other classes, Super Sport, Stock 1000, Baggers, Twins Cup, and Junior Cup, it says mainframe and pre-assembled spare frame. And I was getting hung up on, is a pre-assembled spare frame the same as a spare motorcycle? And that's a question for you. Yeah, really, the superbike rules are the same with all. If you read the actual rules, they're the exact same across the board. Um, the the we we took a we we pulled basically the paddock. I went and spoke to about seventy riders. I think I had at Pittsburgh, and all wow. but one was in favor of making this change. And really, what this just does is it. To me, it helps the smaller teams because 90% of the people already have enough parts to put a spare motorcycle together in their trailer, or they already have a spare motorcycle in their trailer. They just don't have it out, which is, you know, what we're trying to technically is not really allowed. So what we're saying is you can have a spare motorcycle in your trailer now, um, completely built, ready to go. Uh, but you can't just use it because something happens. You have to, you have to have a catastrophic failure to come to me and ask for that to go to that second motorcycle. That's the same thing that happened to Superbike now. For you know whether it be, you know, they you know at Brainerd, I think um, they had a pretty big failure, obviously on the attack bike, and they couldn't. They needed to go to spare motorcycle you know, because it had such a, a large failure, but normally they'll, they try to fix it. So the thing about the spare motorcycles, they have the bigger teams, they have more hands that can go towards fixing these motorcycles when they come, you know, when they fall down or whatever, or, or an engine fails or, or whatever the situation is, but the smaller teams only have one, sometimes one guy. So it, if they can go to another motorcycle in case of a big failure like that, it's going to be a lot easier for them, at least in my opinion. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, anecdotally, we talked to Max Flinders um, a couple weeks ago, and he basically admitted, you know, he's, he has a, two, a 2015 R1 that he keeps in the truck. And he said, so for him, I mean, it's just basically, it's kind of what it was before. Um, he just didn't have it out. But it's he said exactly that. He said he has it that way because it's only it's only him and his guy, Tim. And uh, I think it, his dad, Martin, helps out a little bit. So that's a perfect example of you know, trying to try taking all the pieces to put together another motorcycle is a lot harder than having this, this uh, essentially spare motorcycle on the side, but out of view. Um, so it works perfect for them. And I think it works for all the teams, even the factory teams. The one thing is that I don't get though, and I, ha I have to laugh about it because I don't know what we're doing here. And Teague, again, you don't have to have a thick skin on this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call you out on it, but I'm just trying to understand. So it says, during, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, 
basically it says during setup day, no restrictions apply regarding the location of the spare motorcycle. So that implies, okay, you can unload it from the truck. It can be sitting out there while you're setting up your paddock. But it says from the start of the first practice session, any spare, spare motorcycle must be kept out of view. And I get that. Um, why is that? I mean, do we not want our fans to see there's another bike? I mean, what, what is the reason for that? You know, you know, this was a lot of work with FIM and it's how they word theirs. And, you know, we're, since we work really closely with the super bikes, with them on super bikes, you know, we've been trying to go down that path, but, you know, again, for them, I think they think it makes it a little easier to just keep it in the back, um, work on what's going on. And and then it it takes away the, the perception that they have, you know, that they could be bigger, smaller. So I don't know. I don't have a complete answer for you, but I mean the the bottom line is it's not like the old it's not like the old days where Gagne could come in on one superbike, he's got another one sitting there on the other side of the wall. I mean on the on the racetrack side of the wall, he jumps on that one, goes out, comes back in, jumps on the other one. I mean, those days are gone, but it does give them the opportunity to not have to try to hastily put something together when they could actually make it a little easier on themselves. And ultimately. I ultimately it's a safety thing, I think, because like, I don't worry. And I said this to, um, I said this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when we had uh, Max on was, you know, the, the attack guys, you don't worry about. They've got a bunch of qualified guys. They've got a bunch of hands on the job. They all know what they're doing and they can make these changes quickly and safely. But it's like, you worry about the guy at the other end of the pit where maybe it's his dad and his brother and they struggle just to make things work under a normal situation without being stressed about, having to build a second bike. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. You know, it, my other thing is, am I correct in thinking that the tighter the rules, the harder your job is? In other words, is Superbike the easiest for you and maybe like a junior cup, the most difficult? Uh, I mean, you are right that obviously if you, if you free things up for the people to be able to modify, it's easier to not, you don't have to really check that part too often. So Superbike is yes, I would say superbikes generally can it, it can be the most difficult in, in certain situations, but overall, yeah, I think it's it works that way. Junior Cup, I wouldn't say is the, the easiest, but the the production racing classes, well, they're all production racing classes, but the the more stock racing classes or can be a little bit more difficult as far as teching. I mean, you definitely find more things in those classes. All right, I'm going to ask you this because I get I get the question asked to me a lot just by fans. But talk to me about Park Ferme. And okay. I think I know what the object is of Park Ferme and why Park Ferme exists, et cetera, et cetera. But if, explain to you, like if a fan come up, comes up to you and says, hey, what are all these bikes doing parked here after every session? And what's this Park Ferme, this French crap you guys are talking about? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that, Teague, and tell us why that's the way that it is and why it's important. So, you know, when we do initial tech, we're not looking for legalities. We're not, uh, we're not looking for every legal part on your motorcycle. We're looking really at safety items to make sure that bike is safe to go on, on that racetrack. Park for me has come into play after, you know, kind of has two different reasonings. One of them, it allows... You know, it allows the tech officials or the tech stewards, however you want to say them, to go through all the bikes and make sure 
that you know they might have illegal the correct tires on them they're not using parts that should not be on the motorcycle it also allows the other teams to walk around and look at them and you know to make sure they, it kind of self-regulates does that make sense mm-hmm. the, where they could they might see things that happen and they say well we want to protest the situation because we're seeing this part that maybe uh, we did not catch so it kind of has two purposes one for the tech officials and one for the teams to be able to to also see what's going on right because theoretically a guy could if the, if, if park for me didn't exist and i had an illegal motorcycle i could ride it back to my truck change out what's ever illegal about it in case you guys came to look at it yeah in theory correct because in before a bike comes to park for me we never it never leaves an official site so they can't take you know if they if they come off the track go into the pits they're automatically um well, I don't give out penalties, but a penalty is then implied. To right. So usually it's a loss of times. So. All right. Well, that makes sense. You know, you know, one of the things I want to say, Paul, you actually helped me to understand something. I've, I've mentioned this to Teague a few times, and I think I drive him crazy with it because when these rules first came out, I said to him something about a two bike rule. And he said, we don't have a two bike rule. And I'm like, okay, I can't understand this, but now. Paul, I get it now. So yeah, in the old days, they used to have a backup bike right in the pit box with them. Well, they can't do that now, but they can have a bike squirreled away in their truck or whatever. So if they have a catastrophic failure to that one other, one bike, they can have another one, but they don't get to try out two and see which one feels better. So actually, yeah. Paul, thanks for clarifying that. I f- if you look at MotoGP, it's a perfect, it shows how the rule is to perfection. MotoGP MotoGP Mark Marquez can crash his bike and get a ride back on the scooter and jump on another one. When yep. Cameron Bobier crashes his Moto2 bike, he's basically done for the session or until his crew can put that bike back together. And I think that, sh- that in, one, in a nutshell, that shows a single bike rule and it shows a two bike rule. Correct. And right. We, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we're allowing the bill to the use of it to have a spare bike ready. So where most people like I always did is I had, I'd have a, a rolling chassis, but I would actually have the wiring harness in and you have it kind of put together the way the rules allow, but then you have an engine over here. It, it, it's The other thing, it's much harder to transport that way. This It's easier, it's in, I would say 80 to 90% of everyone has enough parts to put another bike together in some form or another. And so to, to be able to have it all together just makes it easier. All right, I got one last thing, Sean. I know, I know you've got one more, and then we're going to wrap up. But Teague, I want—I know you worked on Michael Gilbert's bikes, and you've been around the paddock a long time. Now, I had always heard that the ultimate tech director is the guy who tried to cheat the most when he was a mechanic or a crew chief. <laughs> so, T, T I, and and it's your job. But as a crew chief in a series such as Moto America, you are trying to do everything you possibly can within the limits of the rules. And if you were to find something where you could go outside the rules and not get caught, I mean, that that's that's part of the game, right? Yeah, I mean, to a point, I think to a point. I, I mean, it's still your reputation if you get caught. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, and I think that's probably the number one deterrent. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I've never, I know, I know they always say that, but I, I've only had one penalty ever, you know, right. so uh, it is what it is. But 
you, you know, the, I think the thing about it, having a technical director is not just the tech side. That's probably the smaller side of the entire job. You know, like you said, there's so much that goes into putting it all together. Um, so, but yeah, that saying's been around forever, right? That's right. It's funny, Teague, because it's t- Paul touched on this thing. I mean, it's pretty pretty well known among people that know me that I'm on a little bit too tight. So I'm one of these guys that if I was doing your job and I saw something, I'd be, aha, you SOB, you broke the law. You probably are like, aha, well, that was pretty clever, but you're not going to get away with it. Is that kind of how you you handle it? I mean, you might uh, you might applaud their creativity, but ain't going to happen. Uh, there's been a couple. Yeah, there's been a couple. Uh, I, I won't say what they were, but there was a couple couple of checks that we did and it was pretty creative. I was I applauded. It was, uh, that was good. <laughs> so that does happen. <laughs> okay, this I've just got one more question, then we'll wrap up here. So this has to do with and you've heard me ask this one before. I've asked Chuck a few times about this one, but it's about a particular motorcycle that I do know is competing in British Superbike, but has not yet been is not yet competing in our class, our series, and it's the Aprilia RSV uh, four, which I believe is an eleven hundred cc motorcycle. Which, right there, displacement wise, kind of tips your hat to maybe what one of the issues might be with the bike. Although I've heard dyno tests and horsepower that it may be comparable. I don't know. I know it comes up once in a while. Um, is that Aprilia a bike that is trying to get in our series, and will it ever get in our series? You know, there's not too much I can t- touch on with this. Um, there's been discussions. There's There's been offers made, but nothing has come to fruition at this point. So I don't know. You know, I, I can't say it will or, or it won't. I know that there's been discussions, and that's as far as it's gone. So, I mean, they basically have to apply for homologation and see if it works, right? No, they, there, there, there needs to be some much more larger agreements in place before you even get to the part of the homologation. Oh, okay. Understood. Yeah, and I mean, as I understand, and I'm not going to say too much either, but I, I know it's been tested a few times on a dyno versus the track and things too. And I know it has to do with certain things about what the bike comes with and, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's an overlord, whether it's competitive, it's kind of all that kind of stuff. And so I just, I know that I didn't know based on the fact that we do, you know, do some stuff with, we look at BSB a little bit, they are FIM controlled as well. And I thought, well, okay, it's in, it's in other series around the world or at least one. So I thought maybe that might indicate that, you know, at some point it may be in there, but, but I understand and respect where you're coming from on that Teague. I just had to, I had to throw it out there. I sometimes get some teams and writers that will ask me that question and I don't know the answer to it. So I had an opportunity to ask you, but, um, but anyway, Hey, you did well. Your thick, you, your skin is, is, is con- intact. Um, we weren't trying problem. to, def- we're, we're trying to scoop, uh, stump you on anything, but really it's <laughs> a tough job. Uh, Teague. Paul, Paul pointed that out and you do, you do a great job with it. It's, it's not easy to do. When I come in there and see you're always so level headed, I'd be ripping my hair out by the roots. So, uh, Hey, that's not always true. man. I, I've definitely had some moments this year. There, there's no doubt about it. I've had some moments. <laughs> we all uh, do. 
I yeah. agree. <laughs> so, all right. So we're going to wrap up. Thanks for your. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, thanks, T. I just want to thank you. And, and maybe I'll see you before the season starts. But if not, we'll definitely see you at our first race, which I can't actually say is Daytona. So <laughs> but I, I can't say where I'm going to see you after that or after that or after that. But I can tell well, you I'm going to see you at Daytona. Well, I'll be at the office on Monday. So we'll see. Maybe I'll see you then. Oh, OK. I'll make a trip up. All right, bud. All right.